Our chalice lighting this morning is The One Story by Rachel Naomi Remen. Hidden in all stories is the one story. The more we listen, the clearer that universal story becomes. Our true identity, who we are, why we are here, what sustains us is in this story. The stories we hear are about the same things, stories of owning, having, and losing, stories of sex, of power, of pain, of wounding, of courage, hope, and healing, of loneliness and the end of loneliness, stories about God. In telling them, we are telling each other the human story. God on difficult to decide on this message, but on Bastille Day, it seems appropriate to share that I care for you, now and in the future, and I care for this land that we are all living in. My care for you tells me to be careful. Why share a message that might upset some of you? But then one of you recently told me, many of us are enraged about injustice in our land, and we do not know what to do. So we harbor a rage within us. Is there a better way to engage with this rage than harboring it inside? Anything to do? And so caution is thrown aside for a look at the world as I see it today. Our monthly theme is story, and you will hear a very human story about who we are, why we are here, and what sustains us in a few moments. I will share a story. On the back wall, there's a question. What has been a pivotal story in your life? Something like that, it goes. And for me, this story has proved foundational to who I am and the way I want to live in this world. And so it seems fair to share the story with you as well in the hope that it will be effective, productive for many in this community. First, 
some background. Unitarian ministers, Universalist ministers have looked at issues for years, but avoided mixing religion and politics. We have wanted to follow the laws of our land and comply with the norms both left and right. As religious liberals, though, we are guided by principles. Inherent worth of every person, justice, equity, and compassion, the encouragement of others to speak. These and so many contained in our seven principles have helped us to build lives that are pleasing to each and every one of us. But we must admit that we have seen a shift among evangelical Christians. The Reverend Billy Graham knew and preached from Matthew 25, verse 40, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you do for me. I remember those messages. They were part of my childhood training. I carry them with me. Many of you do too. In 1981, Reverend Graham wrote, the hard right has no interest in religion except to manipulate it. But today, in 2019, his son, the Reverend Franklin Graham, promotes his manipulators. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you has taken a walk. This turn in evangelical faith led to a July 5 article in The Atlantic from Peter Weiner. Weiner is from a conservative think tank. This is not the loony liberal left speaking. But the article's title is The Deepening Crisis in Evangelical Christianity. After noting an evangelical link to Trump, Trumpianism, he wrote, nonchalantly jettisoning the ethics of Jesus in favor of a political leader who embraces the ethic of Trasimachus and Nietzsche, might makes right, the strong shall rule over the weak, justice has no intrinsic worth, moral values are socially constructed subjective. All this is troubling enough, but there is also the undeniable hypocrisy of people who once made moral character and especially sexual fidelity central to their political calculus and are now embracing a man of boundless corruptions. Weiner's views have been actively discussed this week. Mika Brzezinski, a co-host of Morning Joe, said, Teen poll from the Pew Research Center asking faith groups whether the U.S. has a responsibility to accept refugees. 
found that more than two-thirds of white evangelicals believed America does not have a responsibility. 25% say the country does. That number is far lower than other faiths and the religiously unaffiliated. Eugene Scott, a reporter from the Washington Post, had this to say. And Peter Weiner makes a very important point. If you look at the data, you see that millennials, and we'll see even soon, Generation Z, are disconnecting from conservative Christian communities at rates that are higher than previous generations, in part because of a lack of interest, but a lack of confidence that these communities hold the same values that they have professed for years. And one of the reasons why they do that, or they believe that, is because they see in the political sphere what conservative evangelicals are supporting and what they're not supporting. We've seen very recently in another Pew poll that no group supports keeping refugees out of the U.S. at higher rates than conservative white evangelicals. And when you have young voters, millennials being one of the largest uh, voting blocks, who care a lot about these social issues related to immigration and international concerns, they want to see a religious community care as well. And right now, that's not what they see. Mike Barnacle, an MSNBC reporter, shared this. Multiple issues on the table in the course of this campaign for the presidency. There is the border. There is, uh, you know, the future of NATO. There is uh, the Middle East and things like that. But I think the core of the campaign is what this man, this one man, has done to alter our country. Uh, we now have the acceptance of abnormality as a huge underlying issue in this campaign and in everyday American life. I mean, the acceptance of cruelty, the acceptance of misogyny, uh, the acceptance of corruption, both political and moral. And each candidate has an obligation, I would think, to address these issues in some form or fashion, because what happens is that it is altered both the reality of America and the image of America around the world. Rather than discuss, as this panel did, reasons for evangelical acceptance of abnormality, cruelty, misogyny, and corruption, it is my view, and I want to share this with you, that this is not just something that has happened recently. This shift has been planned, and I know it has been planned at least back to 2002. Let me put this another way. There is a fascist playbook, and you can read it in English. In the spring of 2002, and this was before I met Shirley, so this is not a story about Shirley. It's me, and Shirley has heard this story many times. And she said, are you really going to share that? And I said, yes, it's important to me. But I had a girlfriend. We were living in Virginia and Maryland. And she asked me to go with her to visit some high school friends. I was uncertain about this invitation. It was for a shower. A shower, I asked. Can I beg off? No, other husbands and boyfriends were also invited, and so I agreed. 
The invitation asks that we wear business casual. I'm from the Midwest. What did I know about business casual? I went to the men's warehouse. I asked the clerk, what should I wear when the invitation says business casual? A few days later, decked out in my business casual outfit, as we drove toward the shower, I heard we were going to a house where the family members like to race Lamborghinis on the weekends. This did not feel good to me. Again, I'm from Iowa, to be more specific, and I don't recall any Lamborghinis in Iowa. Put another way, any Iowan with a Lamborghini was rich beyond belief. It's not just the clothes question, I thought. I'm in way over my head. So then we, we arrived at the host's house and were welcomed into the home's foyer. And when I looked around after entering that room, peered into the living room and into the dining room and to the kitchen, I only saw women. No men anywhere. And a funny feeling returned in my belly. I should have begged off. But I was there. Somewhat upset there, sending a questioning look at my friend, and she asked the hostess, didn't you say men were invited? Oh yes, they are here, but in the back. There is a speaker tonight, someone pretty important. It's a big deal. It's Roger Stone. Do you know him? I don't, I said which was true at that time. Well, why don't you join them? There's the door. We'll take care of these shower details. Picture this. I am a progressive liberal religionist, progressive liberal in life. And I was upset just by this very idea of all the men being in the back in a room with I didn't even know who the speaker was, and all the women were taking care of the shower details. Huh. Sounds about it three quarters of a century ago to me. Now, I didn't know any of my friends' friends, and I didn't know if they could be my friends, but kind of had a hope that they might be. So I stepped out to the home's large and enclosed back porch and found there were 50 men, give or take, seated around tables, at tables, big, long, square, all of these men. And I was, I could see that I was not expected. There was no seat for me. And so as I entered the room, I just stood in the doorway, just inside the doorway, and Roger Stone was beginning to speak. He began by saying how happy he was to be there. He knew a few of these fine people already, 
and the others were certainly in good company. If you know them, you're okay. Then he went on to say he knew how hard they had worked to earn what they had. Following a path set by their parents and their grandparents, oh, he praised their ancestors, people who had come to America for opportunity. It was here in America that their hope for wealth and greatness could be realized. Am I right, he asked, and they agreed. And then he said, I'm with you, 100%, 1,000% with you. You are entitled to every dollar you have earned. I was still in the doorway, (laughs) listening, puzzled that I could stay and listen, though, because the gist of his message was shifting. Stone went on to share his views with this group of 50 DC power brokers. And it is at this point that I must apologize because what he said is inappropriate for this service. If you think I've gotten to the edge so far, I tell you, there's an edge that's even rougher, and I won't go there right now. However, I will attempt to portray this after the service for those who would like to grab a cup of coffee and come back in, and I will play the part of Mr. Roger Stone and you will get to hear what I heard if you are interested in doing so. One of the things he said, though, I must tell you at the end, is that he had successfully built a bridge to evangelical Christians. And this was the thing that led me to decide that the door was right there. I might as well walk out of the room. He said, all we have to do is be against abortion. He did not say, oh, we're one with this group. He did not talk about the connections he could build. He said, all we have to do is agree with them on this one item. So I'm not going to leave you here because I think it's important, first of all, that we know that being quiet and submissive and allowing things to go as they appear to be going holds a risk for those who may be closer to us than we think. Maybe even ourselves. I I shared this for several reasons with you today. First, is it my hope that you would recognize that there is a Trump machine behind Trump. There are hard right think tanks and they have successfully promoted 
something that still makes us, perhaps some of us, a little uncomfortable. The whole idea of white supremacy is carried through and fed into society from this group. Roger Ailes and Roger Stone, Fox TV, they are promoting these views and sharing them out into the world. And they become a part of society and we should recognize that this is part of society and it's not something that happens haphazardly. It, it was designed over time and put into play. Second, please, as we already do, continue to reach out for those on the margins of society. Do so before it's too late to do so. Provide a helping hand, send money, sign petitions, show up at the congressman's office, do what you can to make a difference. There have been moves over time, my friends, against liberty for all. It's being attacked. We can see it happen. First there was dialogue about a wall before the election. Then more wall dialogue and suddenly Mexico wasn't gonna pay for it anymore. Now there's other troubles with Mexico. There's a move over time, eventually separating families where children are taken away from their parents. There's losing the paperwork for these children so there's no connection anymore between child and parent. This has happened. There are fights in the courts to make it more difficult for people to come through and to, starting today on Bastille Day, they are raiding homes and businesses and taking them people away from their families. As Tom Steyer said, and I heard him say this in Seattle a year ago, every day with this man as president is gonna be worse than the day before. And if you look at tomorrow, be prepared that the day after tomorrow is gonna to be worse than tomorrow. It's happening. It's been happening. This is why we feel that inner rage. Thirdly, be active in the 2020 election. As a liberal religious clergy person, I implore you, do what you can to support whoever you think should replace and be there for that individual. Yes, this is a call to arms in this service, and it is one of the messages that I wanted to leave you with before I left here. Because if your help is not there, and if you're not talking to people and getting them to help as well, who knows what will happen to democracy in this land? And the fourth item, and this might be the most important. Talk to your family and friends. If there are those, 
and I suppose we had one of them in the congregation this morning who walked out a few minutes ago. If there are those who just want to see what we are like, I ask you to look at Matthew 25, 40, even the full chapter of Matthew 25, be conversant with an evangelical way of life, what it once was, and call it back. Do what you can to call it back. Speak intelligently, so know your scriptures. I say to you, isn't that something? A Unitarian minister saying, know your scriptures. Know Matthew 25. Know the Sermon on the Mount. Know them. Use them. As well as our principles. Read them through. Use them as your daily meditation. Uh, family meditation for a month or something like that. Embed them in, within yourself and live from them and get to know them because they are at risk. Democracy is at risk, as is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Be a voice that shows that progressives are not loony we're just people who have given some thought to what is really going on in this world. So I want to close with words from the Hindu scriptures. Eknath Iswaran shared these words. The Sanskrit word kama means selfish desire, kama. Any kind of private gratification. The opposite of kama is prema. Love pure and perfected. A selfless love that does not ask what it can get, but what it can give. The first leads only to spiritual starvation. The latter nourishes and heals. May the love of life be with you May you find love in the hearts of those you meet and help them develop it as best you can. Namaste.